Hi, everyone. My name is Kate. And I'm Jenna. And you're listening to Artwise. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Artwise. We have a very special guest today. I'm so excited. This is Jenna, everyone. Jenna has helped me with my life stuff so much. What, what would you call yourself? Like a, like a spiritual coach? Yeah, I think I've landed on intuitive coach. Intuitive that's, that's coach. I can come up with to, to try to explain what I do. Yes, I've been working with Jenna for many, many moons, and she's helped me so much. And I'm so excited to have you on ArtWise today. Uh, did you want to go ahead and do like a little intro to you, to yourself? <laughs> well, I'm Jenna, and I have a vast array of interests in art and spirituality, and I'm just happy to be here to talk about it with you, Kate. So thanks for having me. Oh, thank you for coming on. I'm super excited. So the first question I usually ask everyone is just kind of like, how did you begin your art journey and yourself as an artist? Was like becoming an artist something that you've always wanted to do or something that you learned about yourself later on? I mean, I can remember myself being that awkward kid in theater and like performing arts as far back as I can remember. So I'm left-handed and naturally just art artistically inclined, but I remember thinking art was only about drawing. So the identifying myself as an artist definitely came later in life. But I would say I got started in theater. Yeah. I did theater too. I didn't know you did theater. Yeah, I did theater <laughs> and dance and a lot of performing arts as a child. Ooh. So, okay. At the time that we're recording this, it's actually March 5th. So this episode will come out much later. But the first episode, the first guest episode of ArtWise is coming out next Tuesday, and we actually are having a movement artist come on. So mm. you might want to check that out because she she like directs like music videos and all kinds oh, of stuff. That's so like, cool. Honestly. Yeah. Yeah. No, I did theater too. I didn't know that. I painted sets, but I I also had a lead. I don't know what a what did you role? you did better than me. Yeah, I got like. <laughs> Supporting actress. That was like the best I ever got. So. Oh, yeah. I was a scarecrow in Wizard of Oz. It just fit, I, you know? <laughs> I, guess I, I guess my one lead role was because I have this red hair. My mom chopped it all off to like my ear and put in those like sponge rollers. And I was the lead in Annie. So that was Ooh. fun. And no, I That's will not fun. sing any songs. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. I only did theater for two years. But the first play I was in was Peter Pan, and I was Toodles. I was the lost boy that shot Wendy. And then the second one that I was in was Wizard of Oz, and I was a scarecrow. <laughs> and I painted – I did all the set design for Wizard of Oz, too. I painted all the sets, and I designed, like, the munchkin land. I don't know what it's called. Like, all the so little tiny, like – munchkin houses and stuff your start, your start for art was in theater too really yeah like taking it seriously yeah uh -huh. but then after I started like getting more into art so my dad's an artist so I kind of like my parents were always really encouraging of like me going into art the same kind of 
way that my dad was. But when I was like a little kid, I kind of didn't want to like copy him. And I was like, kind of like, oh, I'll do theater because I really like obviously a podcast, you know, but like, (laughs) I like talking in front of people and in being the center of attention. And so I was like, Oh, I'll just do theater. And so I did it for two years. And then when I did like the set design and stuff, I kind of realized like, Oh, I like this better. And then I got into visual arts and drawing and painting and that kind of stuff. But yeah, similar start. That's like, that's so cool. We have a lot of theater people on so far, actually. it's I was kind of like surprised to hear how many people kind of started out in theater, but it's really I think, like... I think theater is the gateway drug of art. <laughs> it is, because you don't, nobody thinks of it in like, like instinctively as being like art. Like, right. you, that's there's not like so the first much. thing that comes to mind. But like, yeah, there's a lot and there's a lot involved in it, too. Right. So I wanted to ask about the tie dye. So I know that you make the clothes apparel. <laughs> uh, so I wanted to know kind of like what what the story behind the tie dye is and like how you got started with that. So big inspiration, there's there's a couple things that come up is I watched a documentary on fast fashion and it really stuck with me about how many just fast fashion items are in landfills. So Into the Ether was born out of the idea that you could take something that was still useful, like an old shirt that maybe somebody doesn't like, but it's still wearable and take it into the ether and bring it back as like a upgraded version of itself and give it another, you know, chance at life. And I started it initially too as like a co-project with my best friend and we were going to screen print like spiritual sayings on the shirts and stuff. And then it just kind of fizzled out over COVID and it was reborn again after this summer when my son, who just turned 11, was very into our summer project of just tie-dyeing shirts, and we were looking through all the the videos, and we were just using like the tulip dye kit. Like it wasn't a, it wasn't the greatest, but we were looking through all the videos of different kinds of tie dyes, and we both fell in love with the geode tie dyes. And since I work a lot with crystals, with the spiritual side of what I do, I was like, oh, that fits. And I, and he was really excited about doing it. And I really want to encourage him to express himself artistically. So I invested way too much money than I should have into all these really great dyes and go, go through the thrift stores looking for things to upcycle and also do make custom one-of-a-kind pieces. And I think it's just really cool. I mean, The idea of something getting a second life is really cool and the uniqueness of it. And every time that I do it, it's special and different for the person that's going to get it. And that's kind of the beauty of all of it. And it sparked his entrepreneurial spirit at 11, which I think is awesome, especially since it's with art. And he's very artistically inclined, uh, much more than me in a traditional sense. That's really cool. I have my shirt that I bought from you and I love it. I wear it all the time. Yeah, no, they're, they're super cool. I actually had until like, I, until I saw like your work, I had never seen the geode tie dye like done before. Like I've obviously everyone's seen like the 
traditional like regular tie-dye and like I I just did that with my roommate pretty recently just like the normal regular kind of tie-dye but that's like the first that I'd seen like the geode tie-dye so do you do you still have your like apparel? Like I, I know at one point, I think you had it in like a storefront, right? Yeah, I still do because we live in a cute little like vacation town. So summer is going to be really big and I don't keep a lot of stock because I like to keep it available for customs. And since, you know, the things to upcycle, they kind of need to be picked out first, but I do, I do like to do a little bit just to give people who don't necessarily want to customize their own piece. They just want something unique. And that's generally what I keep in the store. But I also take pictures of it and put it up so everybody online can see what's available as well or can do that if somebody were to message me. Most of my orders are custom orders though at this point. That's really cool. So another thing that I wanted to ask you about, you put it in like my little intake form for art-wise, was the art of holding space. What what does that look like? Because I don't think I've heard of that before. So I, I identify this as a gift that I have is to hold a neutral space. I think it is kind of an art because you have to stand out of your own way and the other people or person who's sharing that space with you and give permission for authentic expression. And I think that is an art that doesn't really get talked about a whole lot, but it is an extremely potent art and something that we can use to facilitate honest healing conversations. <laughs> so how, how <laughs> so like how would someone else practice doing that? Like I think it's kind of an accumulation of at least in in the way that I do it is I set up like crystals to hold space. So there's kind of an art of like gritting there and I also invite Reiki into the space through my Reiki master attunement. And then a lot of it has to do with the psychology that I not only studied, but also went through as a patient and learning how to get out of the way so that things can show up. So I guess my best advice for someone that wants to hold space is to stay quiet a lot longer than you think you should and let things truly land and and remove like personal judgment and emotion from the situation. I definitely use other tools. Did I explain gotcha. that well enough or not? <laughs> so my brain like takes a minute to like process new things and I'm okay. like, yeah, okay. That's interesting. I've just never, I've never heard anyone talk about that on the podcast before. So I mean, I also do it in as in a way that like I curate spaces like for events. So my husband's a DJ and he really loves to throw events. And I am the artist behind creating the environment or the space and holding that space and holding that vibe throughout the event as well. Maybe it's more conceptual in that way, in that frame of thinking about it, where I bring in whatever it is that we're trying to create. See, that makes, okay, that makes kind of more sense to me. Like, I'm like, I don't know. Like, I- it's hard it's hard for me to picture it well can you picture it like is that you can 
picture a party getting set up though. So that's, that brings in more of a visual element. I thought maybe that was yeah i'm trying to think like you know like i'm thinking of like energy so is it similar to like kind of like changing the like vibe of like altering the vibe of a space yeah so i mean a lot of people think of it as oh what do they call it feng shui right people talk about okay yeah and the way that it that energy moves throughout a space that's very similar conceptually to what I'm talking about when I'm describing that is that you set things up in such a way that energy flows through the space and people experience something because of that. Okay. Okay. Or have freedom to experience something because of that. That's really cool. Actually. (laughs) I, I need to look more into that because I, can anyone do that? Or is it for like, magical people (laughs) (laughs) well I think I think everyone's magical if they choose to focus on that piece of themselves enough yeah I mean I think anyone can do it you see a lot of people making money in that area of art when you see interior designers or um, people that you know throw parties or host events regularly and that's kind of the piece that I've taken as a supportive role with my husband is just to be the curator of space And then the holding space, just neutral space is really helpful during my readings and coaching sessions so that I can give permission for authentic expression and honesty to come forward without fear of judgment because I've removed my own judgment from that vibe as well, too, if that makes sense. So I, I have questions about the process behind so I know like you kind of do a lot of different things like I have a lot of like questions that all kind of don't really connect so I was like wondering what the process behind the handmade bracelets that you make look like like step by step so I have mine I'm wearing it I wear mine every day I'm glad you got one that you like and that fits you and that's your yeah no this one like fits perfect I have other ones too but they're they're a little big but this one I remember perfect. when we were talking about you ordering it and I wanted to get it right for you. Yeah, no, it's perfect. I wear it like every, every day. I'm just wondering like what, like step-by-step what the process like for making them. Cause I know they're handmade and you make them custom for mm-hmm. like kind of like people's specific needs. I was just wondering like what, what that process looks like for you. And if there is like, a reason behind the process that you choose to use to make the custom little bracelets. <laughs> yeah. So I'm totally one of those people that just likes to do a lot of things. <laughs> In trying to explain what I do to somebody, I often have problems. So I understand like how it could be confusing sometimes. And like you can get, like, oh, how did we even get here? But The bracelets came forth as a way for me to give an affordable healing tool through crystals because I really connect with crystals and their inherent vibration that they just hold true to. And I've seen a lot. I work a lot with crystals with my in-person sessions. When I do Reiki healing sessions, I, I place crystals along the body. So for a long time, I wanted to like go out and buy a whole crystal shop worth of crystals, but that's just really 
expensive and I don't really want to have a storefront. Like I don't want my own storefront. So the accessibility of once I found the right person that had quality crystals in bead form, it just kind of birthed forth from there that I could do a lot with that. So it started out for my mom. She was having some health issues and I made her a bracelet from the gym and mineral show. I went and got some specific gems and made it for her. And I have this book too, that's called light on Reiki that talks about the jewels and how they get like supercharged by Reiki and how it like makes their vibration even more pungent. And like, it makes them happy is how they describe it. So I did the, I, I do like the same kind of meditation that you do when you're making a mandala. The chant is Om Mani Padme Om and I meditate on the person that I'm making it for and hold them in their highest light and ask for their guides to assist in bringing healing energy to that person. And that's all I think about while I'm making the bracelet. I handpicked the stones based on their inherent qualities, like their metaphysical qualities, which anybody could Google like what each gemstone does. But I do take the time to write a handwritten letter to the person that ordered it so that they know exactly what qualities each stone, those characteristics and those healing properties and why I selected that stone for them. And then I string them and none of them are the same either because none of the people that I'm helping are the same. And we're all going through our own battles and our own journeys. So we all need different kinds of assistance. But I really enjoy making them because I feel like it makes good quality crystals accessible. And I think that I have a gift and was given an opportunity to become a Reiki master. And the more ways that I can get creative to share that light with the world, the better. And so it was just a way for me to do my crafty art, which I love. And I always have, I've always made just anything for me to do that in a, in a way that complemented very beautifully the healing work that I do. That's awesome. I love my bracelet so much. I wear it every day. I, I kind of like, I want to ask too, like how, how long have you been a Reiki master? I haven't asked you any of these questions before, so I yeah. don't, I don't know. Like how, how did you, how is that something you gotten into? Cause there's, there's definitely an art to that as well. Yeah. I, they say when the student is ready, the teacher arrives and I moved to, to Denver from Arkansas seven years ago with the hope of finding my tribe of, of healer type hippie people, I guess is the best way to put it. I didn't fit in, in the very super religious South. And it was starting to really affect my psyche as I approached, you know, being, you know, 26, 27 in my Saturn return. And I had to just leave. Like I just packed my car up and left everything behind. And about a year after coming out here, I was getting massages and my massage therapist got switched the day of my appointment. And I was like, so pissed about it. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I finally found somebody that I like, and now you're switching it. And they're like, well, we can cancel it and reschedule you with that person. I was like, no, I really need it because I suffer for some, from some nerve pain damage. So I have to, I have to keep on a regular schedule or I can't move my body at that certain point. So I went in and Helena is her name. And she was working on me and we just like hit it off. And the metaphysical fair was coming up and I had, she expressed to me that she was a Reiki master teacher. 
And I told her I was looking for a energy healer teacher. And she was like, well, I'm looking for someone to help me at the metaphysical fair, the mind, body, spirit fair in Denver. And I would be willing to trade you your time working at the fair for three days to get attuned. And attunements are usually like anywhere from three to $5,000. So I definitely wouldn't have probably had the accessibility to that, but I knew I was destined for it when I was working in like long-term care and as a home health aide. And while I was caring for somebody back in Arkansas before I even moved here, like together between the food I was making for him and the massages I was giving him and the love I was pouring into him and his treatments, he went into remission when he was supposed to be getting another round of chemo. And that was my first like, oh my gosh, like, did I do that? <laughs> like, did, I, did I have any kind of influence on that? I mean, cause we talked about trauma and he got a lot of things out and really worked through some things with me. And that was really my first time to realize that I had the ability to use my hands and my heart to heal other people, to give people permission to heal themselves. And once Reiki was explained to me, it just made sense. I have hostas in my chart for Vedic astrology. So hostas are healing hands and it shows up in your chart and the Vedic astrology it, when, when that's something that's like destined for you to figure out about yourself. And it just, everything just started to become easy. Like I, it was offered to me for an exchange that I could make. I went and observed her and picked her brain and I got level one, two, three and master done, I think within the next six months of working together with her. And then at the next fair, I started reading with her and we set up her doing the healings and readings with her and we set up two beds. And we practiced together until a COVID shut things down. Oh, wow. And then I moved out here. So I've done, I've, I've continued to do some sessions. I, there is a remote, like the third symbol is a, is a symbol that allows you to heal from a distance. So I got really creative over COVID and started drawing out like the body the ethereal body basically and connecting it back to that person like through their full name and birthday and similarly to how I access the Akashic records but I started doing those healings with the crystals and everything and got the same results and so it was really cool to like see this art form for me kind of change over the time and the the more layers of understanding that I have the the more beautiful and magical it gets so I, I have a question. So I know you said something about having like the healing hands in your Vedic astrology chart, but is, do you think that they're like, how do I word this? I'm so bad at words. Like, is there like a way for someone to know if they are like a natural healer like what would you say to someone who was like I I might be a healer I don't know like how how would I know if that's like something that I was meant meant to do like what what would you say to that because I I know anyone can do Reiki but I'm not too informed so I mean one of the <laughs> things I remember her bringing up is the natural response that when you get hurt 
you automatically like put your hands there. It's like the human response to heal yourself by putting your hands on the area that was just wounded. How I describe Reiki is that I am a water hose and I've learned how to turn on the water so that the water can flow through me to the garden, which is my client. And I'm just a vessel for that transmission of frequency to have permission to be directed. Reiki is always everly abundant, but it is helpful to direct it in a specific area with a specific like intention and to ask for that healing. I would say that the people that are more inclined to becoming healers are the people that have had the harder lives and done the most work for themselves because nobody wants to hear advice from someone that hasn't gone through things that they've been through. Like it means a lot less. So the people that are given those harder missions on earth, those are the people that make it out the other side and then they reach their hand back to try to pull more people forward and through whatever it is that they're going through because they have that empathy. So if you would identify yourself as an empathic person and you've always wanted to help other people in life, but not really known how or why, or were interested in the medical field, but it was gross to you. Like that's my story. <laughs> I started out wanting to heal people through, through the, the medical world and dropped out in college and switched to psychology and philosophy because I just did not align with with the methods that were used in the healing practices that I was going to have to to go into if I chose a traditional nursing and healing path. And I never let go of that voice that let me know that I had it in me to heal other people. And I think it just comes from a deep loving of humanity in general and other people and wanting them to feel what it feels like to not be hurting and traumatized. And even if it's for a moment, you give them that feeling of peace, you can, you know, through that interaction, they can know that it's accessible and they can keep working on getting back to that place. I've always wanted to learn Reiki. And I think I know like people in my life who I think would be really like who I feel like are probably natural healers too. Cause I feel like I can like sense that about people. So I was wondering like if there's like a way to like know like oh that's a telltale sign that like someone would make like a very good there's there's a hand in palmistry I would have to look up what it is but I had it I think it's the x that goes through the center of your palm is the healer's mark but I might be wrong oh no you know what it was it was the eye in the thumb when you bend your thumb if it looks like an eye that's the healer spark, supposedly in Palmen. And then, like I said, in Vedic astrology, they have identified hostas, which are healing hand through your natal chart. But it's just a different natal chart than the Western natal chart. I'm like looking at my thumbs. <laughs> right. I don't. I don't. I don't have it. <laughs> the eye of the phoenix. I don't know. I think on my TikTok I did a video showing it, but like right here, I don't know if you can see through through that, but you see how. How in between my first digit and second digit, there's like those two lines and they meet and they look like the eye. It's called the eye of the phoenix. Oh, I don't have that. <laughs> I already know. I've seen that video. I don't uh -huh. have that. I only, I, I only have it on one thumb. I have it on my, this is my left. 
have it on my yeah. left hand. I have it on my right hand. I don't have it on my left hand. So that's interesting. Yeah, I only have my, so I have it on my left. And I think it's important to to note Reiki isn't for other people necessarily. Like symbols one and two are just for you. You learn you're your first Reiki person and it's number one about you. So Reiki isn't a practice that you have to do to help other people. It was just, it made so much sense to me to do that because my initial trajectory in life was to help. First, it was animals. I wanted to be a vet. Then it was people. I wanted to be a nurse. And then it was, well, I guess I'm going into psychology and philosophy because everything else seems like a scam. (laughs) (laughs) I just want to understand myself and other people so that I can actually help them heal. And it's led me to where I am today. Yeah, that's awesome. So new question, new topic. All my my questions don't merge together well like they normally do this episode. Sorry, guys. <laughs> so the the art of improv. So I did improv. I was in theater. I did improv. How does this aid you in your creative process? Because I feel like improv is not talked about enough in, in like the like creative like art field I feel like we do not give improv enough credit so I wanted to hear what you had to say about the art of improv because it's such a powerful tool but I want to hear your take on it well I I think improv for me from a very young age I started doing improv acting and I'm in this little mountain town and I was asked to facilitate it again for the youth and then the youth program went so well that they asked me to do it for adults too. So it's kind of cool. I think that improv allows you the radical. Yes. That life often does not. I don't find there to be a whole lot of situations where whatever I say goes, no matter what I say, no matter how ridiculous it is and people have to just go with it. But that is the rule of improv. It's yes. And so it, it increases somebody's ability to perceive a situation or a scene. You must be a good listener or you're not going to know how to get in and fit in to the scene. And it allows you to have permission to say or express whatever it is that needs to come out with a radical yes and acceptance from other people. A lot of troops as well as ours, we embrace like the mistakes, like we actually clap and celebrate it. <laughs> Uh, And I like it because it's just, it's a very different environment than what you get to experience in day-to-day life and different interactions. And I guess how it would apply back to art and stuff would be that, you know, you're allowed to just fully open those creative channels with no inhibitions. Once, especially you gain that trust within your troop, that becomes more and more prominent that you can just really let go. And I just, I don't know. I just don't know a whole lot of other ways that that level of permission is given. Yeah, I think, and like I, so improv, when I, when I saw that you put that on there, I was kind of excited to talk about it because I think that Everything you said is correct, but I also think that practicing improv can help with like two very key things that I know that a lot of artists struggle with. And those two things being one, art block and creative blocks. Mm -hmm. A lot of people 
And I've talked about this um, on the podcast before, but a lot of art block is is caused by a lot of things. One being like not allowing yourself to like follow through with certain ideas. So like if you have an idea and you think it's bad, you have to get it out of your system or you're going to get a block. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And you have to constantly say yes. And yes and (laughs) and another thing another thing the second thing that i think is really helpful too is a lot of artists visual artists traditional artists people that are not necessarily have like a theater background like you and i well even with a theater background it's easy to be kind of like very introverted but improv is inherently kind of social and you have to be around people and it's not i mean i guess technically you could do it by yourself but usually you see an improv troupe and it's a group of people it can really help with you know like being overly introverted and not networking and not working with other people and that's part of like one of my goals for this podcast is I feel like a lot of artists feel uh very intimidated by the idea of networking and talking to other people and being friendly and you know a lot of artists actually see other artists as competition and that is like a whole other can of worms but I think that doing something like an improv troupe in like getting yourself out of your comfort zone could actually like really benefit even like a visual artist who thinks like oh that's not my thing like anyone can do improv. It's really actually very fun. You can make a lot of friends doing it and it could very much help like get you out of your shell too. So I think those are two like really like good like things that can come of like doing improv. Like even if it's just like a couple of classes for fun, like it it will help you like immensely in like more ways than you can imagine, even with like art forms that you wouldn't, kind of associate Mm -hmm. together but I agree yeah I mean the troupe becomes like your family you guys Mm -hmm. show real raw sides of yourself in a not so intimidating way and you get access to people's inner minds and their thoughts and ideas that would like never come to you so I would say definitely as an artist that would and it gets that that right brain like really activated because you have to be on your toes and it's all about coming up with something in the moment and being present in the moment and it gets you out of your monkey mind of just like racking your brain about stuff so I could see how that would be a really helpful tool for me it gives me a fun activity to do that allows me and gives me permission to play. And sometimes that's not the easiest thing now that I'm a mom and um, I do so much caretaking of other people that I really like to do things that give back to my and fill my own energy cup. And that's like one of the things that I really enjoy that I get a lot back from, you know, an hour a week commitment. And, you know, it's always something different. It, It keeps things spicy. Yeah, I I used to love being in an improv troupe. I did it in middle school and I I was not good at it in like the way that they kind of wanted me to be. Like I like I was a part of the troupe, but like I was not like I didn't get to like go to shows and stuff because like I'm just my sense of humor is very weird. 
<laughs> and I think they were like, no one's going to get it. Because usually, like, I would say something and I would be, like, trying not to laugh. Like, this is hilarious. And it would just right. be crickets. <laughs> and then, yeah, I never. The humor do. It's fine. It was really fun, though. But, like, it was definitely, like, I remember auditioning for that troupe in, like, high school and middle school. And, like, being, like man, I am so good at this. And it was just like dead silent. Like everyone was just like, what is she talking about? No, that's how I live most of my life though. And that's, that's why it's, it was fun regardless, but right <laughs> when you have to like audition for a troupe, it's like a whole other thing. But so another question that I had for you actually was about intuition and mm. like the creative process. So we actually had a like she I think she identified herself as like a psychic medium she was on the podcast uh, a couple weeks uh, before this one came out her name is Avery and she did a lot of channeled artwork like channeled from spirit and I'm just curious like as to what role intuition and that kind of thing plays in your artwork and your projects like do you reserve it for specific things or does it always kind of feel like the same or I mean I would say that my most intuitively connected project that I do would be the gemstone bracelets because I really try to channel like exactly what that person's needing and then obviously the coaching sessions goes without like talking about that that would be integrated into that tie dyeing is actually a practice of me not being perfect <laughs> so besides the fact that I use ice dyeing techniques so I can't perfectly place the colors and there's no way to tell how they're going to run together and stuff just letting go of control it was a beautiful exercise on that I do talk to the water <laughs> so a little bit of woo-woo in that, but I just want the water to be happy as it's making this art with me. So I think of it as like a collective effort between me and the water and the colors. And then, yeah, I mean, I would say my least intuitive channeling like art stuff that I do would be like my face painting and my body painting. That one's just, that's, that's just fun. Like, a body is a cool canvas and I don't get too into my head about it at all. I just kind of have fun with it. So talking to water is like a slept on practice. I'll say it a million so. times over. There's scientific studies that prove it. And mm -hmm. like another thing that I saw someone, I think I saw it on TikTok. I feel like it had to be TikTok because I don't know where else I would have seen this from. But someone did like an experiment where they like, yelled at the water and like cursed at it and were like you you, you suck water and then they made rice with it and then mm -hmm. they made rice with like water and they were like oh you're awesome you're gonna make the best rice ever mm -hmm. and they like <laughs> they kept it in a jar and like the the water that was like that they were like really mean to like the rice got like yucky like really mm -hmm. fast and it turned like this gray sluggish color it's mm -hmm. crazy like it's it's and if you don't believe it, like, just do it yourself. Like, it's not hard. Just, like, make some rice and see what it does. Because, like, I swear, it's the coolest thing ever. Like, it's really, like, it's slept on. You need to be talking to your water before you before you drink it, before you paint with it. <laughs> right. Yep. So, I know. People, 
when I tell people that, they either really understand what I'm talking about or really just think that I'm off in, like, it's a total left field. And I'm cool with it at this point, like, being the weird girl. I've been the weird, weird girl, like, all of my life, and I'm just embracing it in my 30s. So I'll talk to water in front of people. Like, I don't even care anymore. <laughs> oh my gosh. No, I'm totally I'm I'm guilty of thinking it was crazy at first cuz I remember my mom sent me an article and she was like you got to start telling your water before you drink it like how awesome it is and stuff and she sent me like all these articles about it and I'm like you're nuts. And then like <laughs> I started reading the articles and I was like, "Oh wow. That's kind of cool actually." <laughs> and then I started doing it and it's like that's awesome. Yeah, you can feel the shift if you're really into like subtle energy. Yeah, and any skeptic can just do it too. And that's like mm-hmm. what's so cool about it is like if you don't believe it, just do it yourself and then well, you'll like, see it. I mean, I like to think that we're active participants in the reality that we're participating in. And so like yeah. that goes along that line. Like Yeah. Yeah, it's really <laughs> Yeah. So another thing I wanted to ask about, because it's art too, it's all art. So I know you're a writer and you write. So I was wondering, as like a writer, is is like the creative process for writing similar to the processes that you use for like tie-dye and making bracelets and all, all the stuff that you do? Is it Does it all kind of look similar or is like each individual thing kind of get its own special like creative process? I would have to say that everything has its own creative process. So for me, writing is a way to get emotions out or to process things from a from a perspective of like characterizing things or writing poetry and making something beautiful out of something that is challenging. Even if it's just for myself, like journaling is a practice that's helpful for me. I find writing to be definitely emotionally charged for me where I would say tie-dyeing is more like an inspired art. Face painting and body painting and makeup artistry is more of a like, I think of it as like being the facilitator of a shapeshifter. (laughs) I don't know how to put that, like make that make sense, but I like to just see how my vision and, and hand can make somebody look totally different. And it's so fun. And I just, I get tickled with it because it's not something I was ever professionally trained in, but I've played with the big dogs. So it's fun. And it's something that I'm always just learning new things. And so it inspires me in that way that I'm never, ever going to get challenged the same way in that art. And then, you know, I would say the bracelet making and the intuitive coaching is definitely like a higher, like inspired form. So writing is definitely my most like human-like art form where it's like very emotionally charged. Everything else comes from kind of a much more peaceful place inside of me. All right. I have another question. They're all different. They're all, none of them tie together at all whatsoever this time for some reason. Because <laughs> it's me. That is me. <laughs> Yeah, sometimes like I'll have an episode and it flows so well, you wouldn't even know I was interviewing someone. And then some episodes are, it's just like, okay, here's a question and here's a completely different question. This is nothing to do with the thing that I just asked you. I'm sorry. Oh, I don't care. I'm so ADHD. Like I don't even notice. (laughs) (laughs) So obviously I've been working with you for 
it's been a long time actually <laughs> was like may of year. last year i want to say it's, we're getting close to a year at this point yeah that's crazy right yeah okay yeah, it does. It kind of feels like it's been almost a year, but at the same time, it doesn't, but it does. So obviously, uh, you do like, you know, the spiritual, I- intuitive coaching, Akashic Records reading, other things through, you know, into the ether. I I just wanted to ask like specifically like a business question. So like, could you talk a little bit more about how your business developed and how you landed on like the products and services that you did for your business? I mean, I would say that it started to develop after I found out that I could make money doing something that brought me joy. And that was kind of like a really pivotal moment for me because growing up, I was just told to show up and work hard and get your paycheck and be happy that you have a job. And when I started doing Reiki, like I said, almost immediately, I was a part of, I was a part of her booth in the next show, which was six months later. So I think I'd been attuned for like two months at that time. And I made great money that weekend. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I could do this as work. (laughs) It doesn't have to be suffering. So once I figured that out, it was like a snowball effect for me where it just, it just encouraged me to follow and chase the things that brought me joy. And I'm very eclectic person. I like to do a lot of different things because I don't like to, I don't like to be bored and I don't like for things that bring me joy to lose that like passion. Oh, me so too. <laughs> I like to switch, I like to switch it up. You know, I don't want to be, if all I was doing was doing tie dyes, I don't think I would enjoy tie dyeing as much as I enjoy tie dyeing. Or if all I was doing was, you know, Reiki all the time, I think I would get exhausted from that and I wouldn't enjoy it and wouldn't be as pre- present and effective in the sessions that I do. So, you know, starting it just came from following my joy. And then I had to really like, especially with the Reiki, I had to talk myself into the fact that like, I was allowed to charge for my energy exchange and like seeing what I'm giving to any particular income producing thing is an energy exchange. That was also one of those pivotal like thoughts for me that I am, I am involved in an energy exchange, no matter what work I'm doing. So the return on my energy investment is a lot less stringent when I have joy in doing it. Cause I don't have to also get an emotional payment. <laughs> or, you know, it's it's not as much to recover from if you're doing it out of a place of joy versus if you are hating every second that you're working. So I was not afraid to fail. I mean, I've done so many things in getting into an entrepreneurial type of life that I've failed. And just continuing to allow yourself to evolve as a person and it, give yourself giving myself permission for it to be eclectic, for it to be scattered, like, and to stop apologizing or limiting my potential for 
what I could work on. I mean, my potential for that would be limited by what brings me joy and what doesn't. And in those ways, you show up as a different person. So I guess my best advice is just, you know, everybody has different things that light them on fire. And if you follow that fire and you trust in, in the universe to provide for you and you show up with a hundred percent effort, the same way you would show up if you were working for somebody else, you, you can't fail. And that trust fall is sometimes hard to do, but I believe in it because I've, I've done it. I've made, I've made a living just doing entrepreneurial type of pursuits. And I've, I've often gotten paid much more (laughs) when I do give my time to those types of endeavors. Yeah. I'm scared to do that, but you know, my life resignation is happening. (laughs) I know. Hopefully by the time this comes out, artists are getting their power back. Like I'm so excited for us all. Like, honestly, it's very cool to see too. It's very cool to uh, have a podcast about it while it's happening too. It's very interesting. I'm very excited. At the time that we're recording this, only one episode has been released, but I have recorded with upwards of 30 people and it is really, really cool. Like to, it's almost like I've like kind of I've grabbed like a lawn chair and I've just made this front row seat for myself of like all of these artists like coming up, like rising from the ashes, like after COVID and everything. It's Mm. really nice. (laughs) Well, thank you for curating that space for everyone to have a voice. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully it blows up, you know, it's like, exciting (laughs) I hope it inspires one person that thinks that they can't do it and is suppressing their artistic and creative energy because they've been told that you won't be successful or you'll be a starving artist I mean I think that's really the social conditioning at least that I grew up with but in my energy work one thing I can tell you that I've learned is that our creativity is our spark of God inside of us. It is like the God piece of us. And if we aren't creating, then we aren't fully embodying that beautiful God-like quality that is inside of us. And we're not honoring ourselves fully. So, I mean, I hope it's wildly successful for you, but if there's one person out there that hears this, it's like, oh, there's no way I could be a natural healer and do art and make it in life. Like I want them to hear that you can. Yeah, that's that really is like the goal with this podcast too. Like one of the main goals, I have a lot of goals with this podcast, but one of the main ones is like every human being, every person has a completely different experience and has like you know, has this whole story of, of life that they've lived and has this whole journey that they've been on with like their artistic endeavors. And, you know, I've had like people from all different like facets of the art world from all different corners at all different levels from like beginners to like people who have been doing this for years and years and years and years and have found a lot of success. And I think that, you know, art wise is like really like made for it's like something that I made for 
my younger self, which is mm-hmm. like actually the <laughs> it's I'm sneaking shadow work into this podcast into every episode because the last question that I ask everybody and I will now ask you is what advice would you give to your younger self in regards to your creative path? Is is there anything that you wish you could have told yourself before like taking the leap like into this like journey that you've been on? I guess the thing that's coming to my mind is that perfection is unachievable. So do it anyways. I think especially when it came to self-expression, I wanted to always be perfect. And I won't go into the whole backstory there, but I felt a very big need to show up as the perfect everything in my childhood. And that kept me from really experiencing things that I was mediocre in for longer than just trying it out and be like, oh, well, not perfect to that. Like on to the next thing. I would just tell her like, you're chasing something you'll never achieve. So just have fun and relax and just do it. And it do- you don't have to sell it either. Like, I guess that's another thing that I a lot of people get stuck on is that, oh, well, if I make all this art, then I have to sell it and I have to be rich and it has to be like my job. But like, you can just make art for the sole expression of making art in whatever form. Like if you're creating something, you are an artist in, in the creation of that thing. And you don't have to draw to be an artist. I don't know why forever. Like that's been in my brain. And even like now at 35, like calling myself an artist alongside other people that use paint and like paint canvases and draw things. Like I feel I still feel weird saying it because I know they look look at me weird. They're like, where's your painting woman? And I'm like, well, I'm wearing my art. I don't know. That has never, as someone who is a visual artist, that has never bothered or affected me. Like whenever people are like, oh, I'm an artist. Like my initial thought isn't like, show me your painting. It's always like, oh, what kind of art do you do? Are like, are you like an author? Are you this? Are you that? Because there's so many different things that I consider to be art. Like Mm -hmm. humanities is such a broad like topic. Like, and I think too, like when, when I was in college, I was taking my, my humanities class. That was like one of the, one of like the first like instances that really was like, oh, all of this stuff is art. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's, it's just, it's so like vast and broad and there's so many different things that are, are, it's really like anything like that you make like as a human being that is like creative and it's, yeah, it's a yeah. lot more than just, oh, I made a, I made a painting, well, <laughs> you know, so. I think it brings the beauty back into life and it takes us out of that, like, I must do and achieve to be successful. Like art gives that space for, for us to be with our natural selves in our natural state of creation, instead of being a laboring machine. And it's really fortunate that we're in a time where I think after all of that isolation away from the art and the events and all the things that are beauty and a whole restructuring of that, it's it's getting another breath. Like, I think that these moments in art history in, in future generations are going to be in the books because 
I think we're really through going through a transformation in how we view art and its value in the world right now. And I'm just happy to be here for it. Yeah, it's definitely exciting. So I think I'm going to have to start wrapping it up because we're at over an hour. So let's go ahead and do some self-promo time. So all of your social medias, where people can find you, any projects you're working on, your business, service, anything that you want to promote and ways that people can support you, go ahead, plug your stuff. So my TikTok is Jenna Loves. And you can find me on there. And there's a lot of really great little pick-me-up videos. And some you can see some of my art on there. I'm also on Instagram at Jenna Goes Into the Ether. And my email is into the ether tees, like T-E-E. And that's how you can custom order t-shirts too if you don't do social media. And I'm just attracting clients that want unique gifts as far as like the art that I make. And I'm attracting clients that um, want an honest and reliable person to hold them accountable for their goals and dreams and to show them pieces and sides of themselves through the coaching that helps them move through some stuckness. And I guess that's the easiest way I could put it. So that's me in a nutshell. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I'm so excited to have you on here. It's been awesome. It was a great episode. So thank you so much, Jenna. Yeah. Thank you, Kate. It was super fun. All right. And thank you guys for listening. Uh, as always, our Instagram is at Artwise Podcast. We host post some behind the scenes stuff on there. So feel free to check that out. And if you are listening on Spotify or Apple podcast, uh, five stars really helps us out. So thank you guys so much for listening. And thank you again, Jenna, for coming on. And I will see all of you guys next Tuesday. Bye, everyone. Bye.